Thank you, Janie. That was beautiful. Thank you, ACC. Well done. Beautiful. I really look forward every time that we're here together for Adventure Sabbath because we always like to have ACC with us. And we're so glad that they were able to join us again. Thank you, Janie, for the wonderful work that you do with them. They sound amazing. Weren't you blessed? They're beautiful, beautiful music, beautiful voices. I also want to thank, uh, take the time to thank our adventurers. We were ministered today by children. Do you realize that? They presented a beautiful, beautiful um, program, um, the different parts that they each had with their families. I, I just, I'm so grateful for the families in this congregation. And I also want to thank our adventure leaders, they, Jeff and Crystal, and I can't go on with all the names, but our counselors, our parents, our grandparents, and, and, and all that you do to support this ministry here with our children. This is our work and very important work to train our children for the, for, for the Lord. And I want to also express thankfulness for this church, this congregation, which is so very much supportive of our children with our school. We're blessed by a beautiful school and also blessed by the many things that we're able to do here for families and children. And as you heard before, we, we could use your help. This is not only for the young families. We could certainly use grandmas and grandpas to help us out with the, with the children. We, I know the parents get quite tired, and, and they could use the help. So we thank you for that. Let's have prayer. Father, we thank you for the beautiful day that you've given to us. It's snowing, but what an appropriate day to be together as the polar cubs celebrating you, worshiping you in the snow. We thank you for this beautiful sanctuary that you've given to us. May you continue to bless us and guide us in our lives. And I pray now that you will infuse me with your Holy Spirit. Father, I want to share your words and your words alone. Please remove me. Please come into our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. You gotta love technology. I'm sure most of you have devices here with you. I have my iPad, I have a phone, we've got the computer at home. And one of the things that is so amazing about this is all the possibilities and all the things that we can do with technology. One of the amazing things that we have, of course, our most, uh, the most important part of it is our mode of communication, being able to be in touch with people even when they're far away. My husband has been traveling and he called me late last night just to tell me that he was on his way and I quickly he tried to do FaceTime we couldn't reach it reach each other that way because the connection wasn't the greatest but he was calling me from Samoa do you know where Samoa is <laughs> South Pacific down there you know it's quite far and we are here and we are able to communicate it's a wonderful thing and other ways that we can communicate, of course, is staying in touch with friends and family far away, right here with us. We're on Facebook all the time, on Twitter, on Instagram, Pinterest. We can keep in touch and follow our friends, our family, perhaps people that, that we admire and interest. Now here I see the car, <laughs> the truck cleaning the snow. That's Jeff Juno and his crew. He's out there cleaning and getting things ready for us so when we leave. We gotta thank him for that. Uh, it's wonderful. And um, it's just a wonderful way for us to keep in touch with each other and follow each other. 
And as I was thinking about that, you know, looking into the things that I look at all the time, things I keep track of, things that I perhaps want to know about with family, with friends, and, and all that happens, I started thinking, are we as interested or as intentional in following Christ? So often, we get caught up with life. And yes, life is crazy. Things get in the way. Um, situations, work, things in life. Yes, there's lots of issues. And that all can get in the way, and it could get all sort of get us skewed in our balance with our communication and making sure that we are following, following God, that we are following Christ's call to us to go out and follow him. So as I was looking into that, I, I came across this um, text in Matthew chapter 10, because of course, Jesus had his disciples who were following him and he was training them, right? So here in Matthew chapter 10, we see that Jesus had already chosen these individuals. Now here you will find that Matthew 10 uh, is the chapter that is about the 12, the 12 disciples, or if you have another version, it says apostles. They were being sent out. Christ had been working with them and they were being sent out. This is also related in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. We're not going to go there. Luke 9, also verses 1 through 6. They're all similar stories. If you read them all together, you can glean a lot of details, and I'm going to get into that. Um, also, if you read through the Gospel of John, you may not be relating this exactly, but John takes us a little bit deeper. This is where we can gain some of the, the deeper understanding of what Jesus was doing with his disciples as he was training them. So we see here that Jesus had a list of followers who were given a task, a very important task. And I'd like us to consider some specific issues as we're looking into this. First of all, the criteria that Jesus might have used in selecting and seeking out his 12 disciples. Secondly, the methods that Jesus used to train his disciples to carry on the work of the kingdom that after he was gone. Thirdly, the instructions that Jesus gave his disciples when he sent them out to preach and to teach and to heal. And lastly, the multiple implications of Jesus' urging his disciples do not be afraid. Matthew 10, 5 through 15, we see here that these are the first generations of disciples. And yes, there's a lot of names and they're hard to say. We're trying to teach the children about them and realize them, most importantly, making them realize that they are a disciple as well. And as we get to know these individuals and their training, there's, there's a lot of interesting things here. And this is what I want to share with you today. This was the first generation of disciples or apostles. The word here used in Greek is apostolos, which means to, the one, to be the one sent. Someone sent to perform a specific task. So we have a disciple, a servant, a follower, a student, a learner, someone who follows a master, a teacher. So who were these followers of Christ? 
Well, we can see that there were men from all walks of life. Fishermen, political activists, tax collectors. We really don't have a lot of details, but we can determine pretty quickly there are people like you and people like me, right? Jesus has specifically chosen his disciples, and he called upon them to follow him. And upon reading these Gospels and looking into it and getting a little deeper, we can understand that Jesus was very deliberate about, about choosing this group of men. It wasn't just anybody. He was very deliberate. So why did Jesus call them or choose them? Did he really need them? And to do exactly what? Well, we know, right? We know the end of the story. We know what happens. But why? Why and what? The Acts of the Apostles, page 16, tells us, disciples were called to do the work that the Jewish leaders had failed to do. And this is what Jesus was doing. He knew that the people needed to hear about him, that they needed to have a deeper understanding and knowledge of who he was, the Messiah being there to save them, and that he had a plan and a purpose for them. So he was trying to tell this to the disciples and teach it to them. Because essentially, the Jewish leaders thought themselves to be too wise to need instruction, too righteous to need salvation, and too highly honored to need the honor that comes from Christ. They had created a wall of separation between themselves and the people whom they were called to serve. So at this, time, this point, we see that Jesus had been teaching the disciples. By chapter 10, you've seen a lot of the, uh, of the training that has been going on. And they had been observing Jesus, what he was doing. They were learning his ways and perhaps putting into practice what they had learned. So what is Christ's guide for choosing his disciples here? Well, first of all, we find out humbleness, willing to give up everything. And I ask, what kind of influence does a man have upon another individual that immediately when he calls them to follow him, they would drop everything and go? Do I have that kind of influence? I say not. I don't think I'm even close. But Jesus, he calls, he goes to them and says, follow me. And to the fishermen, that's nothing. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Just beautiful. So there must have been something very compelling that grabbed these men to say, wow, I'm following him. I don't know what this is about, but I am going. He also uh, took uh, men who were unlearned, not trained, men who were teachable, teachable in spirit and in heart, who were not too proud, humbleness, unlearned. And lastly, that they were willing, that there was a willingness of them to be followers and abandoned their present lives or their status. So some of you may know that before I came here to this church, I did some work in human resources at the General Conference. I, my, my undergraduate degree is in biology. I wanted to be a pediatrician. And I think God used me to be with children in a different way. I've, I, I'm here for the heart of the children. And I love children, and he knew that. 
So he brought me here a different way. So, but in, in my in my training for human resources, I discovered very quickly as I was reading here that there's some sort of a job description. See, there's an objective. First of all, he says he sent them to proclaim the truths that were to move the world. That was the objective. Then Christ would train and educate them on the job. You didn't have to have training. They were to be with Jesus and get the training that they needed. Isn't that awesome? And then he provided the resources as well. He said, you will have power. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, with power like that, we can be unstoppable, right? So he used his disciples and he told them, I have everything that you need. And in turn, he taught them so that they could teach others to send them out and continue the cycle of training others and sending them out. So these men were students until Jesus gave them this power and authority to go out and they received the Holy Spirit. And this is evident by what they were able to accomplish as we read through the Gospels. So he sent them out in pairs to support, protect, and encourage each other and to reach more people. Now, there is power in numbers, and sometimes the approach needs to be a little bit more personalized, more individualistic. But he had them go in pairs, because let me tell you, sometimes it's very discouraging to go by yourself and try to talk to someone. In fact, some of us may be very shy, and we might not feel that brave to go and, and share something with someone. We may be afraid of the answer, no. Now, I was taught very early on by my mother, bless her heart, she told me, Marilyn, if you can handle the answer no, you can ask any question. And I said, all right, right on. <laughs> so I asked a lot of questions. That's how I learned. So here's Jesus. He, he sends them out, and he sends them out together so they can have support and uplift each other. Because let me tell you, this battle is tough. And he sends them out and says, encourage one another, pray for one another, share with one another. And this training that Jesus, the time that he spent with them was a training of about three and a half years. And you may think that perhaps that wasn't long enough, but that's the time Jesus had. And he had to do what he could during the time that he had here. And they learned with him by example. And the training was based primarily on the personal contact that Jesus had with others. He began very quickly to break down the walls between Jew and Gentile, and he mingled with the Samaritans. This was very radical. Jesus didn't, didn't care about those things. <laughs> and he also trained by association, and he was the example to them. They heard his words of cheer to the weary and the heavy laden. They saw him in action in every phase of life. He slept under their roofs. He ate at their tables. He went into their homes. He taught in their neighborhoods. They observed the manifestation of the power and authority of the Holy Spirit on behalf of the sick. He revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of God through the parables. And he unfolded the truths of the way of salvation. He preached salvation. He designed to place salvation within the reach of all, not some. 
through his spirit and word, and he taught the disciples that in God's kingdom, there are no boundaries, no territorial lines, no caste system, no elite, no superior groups. They had to learn that their diversity and character also came into play here, and they needed to be united, a force, all in habits of life, and they had to come into unity of feeling and thought and action. Unity unto him. John chapter 17, 21, 23 tells us that they may all be one, I in them and you in me. One heart, one soul, one accord. Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4 tell us about that. And he encouraged them. Jesus cared about them. John 14, 1 through 4. He understood better than anybody else what they were going through. He told them, let not your hearts be troubled. So he prepared them for the future. He knew they were going to have a hard time, that they would suffer persecution, that they'd be cast out of the synagogues, that they would be thrown into prison, and even some would suffer death. And Jesus assured them that their work would serve as a purpose. Greater impact. John 15, 26 and 27, he would tell them, testify me, be, bear witness. John 16, tribulation will come, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In other words, Jesus understood it, and he was trying to prepare them for this. Yes, the disappointments were going to come, but, but Jesus understood. He said, don't worry, I'm with you. Through their witness, they would come and make an impression upon the world. They, would, they had to have faith and show faith and work as Jesus and depend on Jesus. And Jesus deeply cared for his disciples. John chapter 17, 10, 11, and 20 to 23. Jesus prayed for, him, for himself, he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for all believers. He cares. So as Christ's witnesses, they had seen him and witnessed what they had done. To partner and be workers together with God for the saving of men. As representatives of the gospel church, they were the light bearers. They were to reflect the world and the light shining upon them for Christ. And upon further inspection, as you go here through this chapter, chapter 10, we can see that Jesus' instructions divide themselves into three distinct parts. First of all, there's a brief and temporary mission. Where to go? the work to do, the message to bear, and the manner in which to conduct themselves. Then there's the permanent exercise of the gospel ministry, and then the service of Christ in the widest sense. So in this case, you may ask, why did Jesus send his disciples early? They were not quite prepared yet. Well, Jesus, as a wise teacher, as a master teacher, was equipping his disciples and any teacher knows, any teachers that are here, anyone who's teaching and equipping understands that there are some steps that you have to take, and sometimes they gotta be trial and error. There's gotta be practice. And that's what we've been practicing today with the adventurers that were here ministering to us. So he instructed about the task. As we know, as teachers, we do this. We entrust, instruct about the task. We do the task while student observes. Then the student will help the student do the task. We'll help the student um, 
to do what they can, but we allow them to do it and then observe. We allow the student to do the task by themselves, but then we supervise and guide as needed. And then lastly, we hope that the student will become a trainer and teach on and pass it on. So this is what Jesus was doing. The disciples gained experience as they served along with Christ. So Jesus sends them out so they can put what they learn into practice. And they worked faithfully for Jesus and during Jesus' ministry and more fervently after Jesus' death. And speaking about Jesus' death, this is what he had been doing, right? Preparing, preparing for this. We understand that after Jesus' death, the disciples were discouraged and grieved and despaired, and they felt lost. And it's just at precisely at this time, while they're in the upper room, praying that Jesus appears to them right after the resurrection. What a way to comfort his disciples. For 40 days, Christ remained with them, preparing them for the work they were to continue doing. And they understood finally what Jesus was trying to teach them. Ye are witnesses of these things. Luke 24, 45 through 48. So the disciples reached finally the place where they could say, I know whom I believe. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. So before Christ ascends, he gives his disciples their commission. We're familiar with this text, right? Matthew chapter 28 at the end, verses 19 and 20. So work earnestly for souls. Do not wait for them to come. Go to the people with the message. Teach them, baptize them, and express it in a matter of simplicity. The less ostentation and show, the better, the greater influence for good. Encourage them to be brave and bold and strong. And Christ promised them that he would be with them. And he also promised that he would impart them with the power and the authority, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he counseled them to obey God's word and work in connection with him. He would be with them. And he sent them out to all nations to tell the news of salvation until he would return. He was going to go and prepare a place, and then they would be able to enjoy that. So Pentecost brought heavenly illumination, and truths they didn't understand then became unfolded before their eyes, and then they could understand more. So as we read through all of this and we understand this work that they had to do, what does this mean for us today, our current situation? Well, Acts of the Apostles, page 12, tells us, God's church is the court of holy life, filled with varied gifts and endowed with the Holy Spirit. Our mission is to carry the gospel to the world. And God's purpose is that through his people, not people out there far away, not people down the neighborhood, people, us here in Spencerville, to bring a blessing to the world by sharing the salvation of all men. As God's people, we are to become acquainted with him as his chosen people, servants whom God has chosen. Do you believe this? People has chosen us. We are his witnesses. 
God has chosen us individually, intentionally. You're not here by accident. We are organized for service to show forth God's glory, his fullness and sufficiency, and confess him, meaning oneness with him, being in unity, abiding in him, being in him, and be the blessing of humanity. Ezekiel 34, verse 26 and 29 through 31 tells us, I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season, and they will be showers of blessing. Essentially, God's glory must be revealed and his word established. People need to hear this. And God promises to be with us and give us the power and the authority to preach the kingdom of God. He says, I have called you, I will hold your hand, will keep the give thee for a covenant. To do what? To proclaim the good news, to bring up prisoners from their prisons of the lives, to open the blind eyes to light, and to and those that are in the prison of darkness, for them to be illuminated and understand more. God says, I will help you and I will preserve you. So as disciples, we are to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, doing the will of God, trusting God in trial, darkness as well as light, and walking by faith and not by sight, and relying on God's confidence and resting in his love. So as disciples, we like to be like the master, right? Like master, like disciple. We learn from him, and we do likewise. And the Bible is replete with with stories after stories and, and, and relates so much for us to learn from. We need to have the desire to do God's will and be able to have the denial to self. We know that Jesus suffered. We, we need to suffer as well and let go of whatever is intervening and gain what, gain what God has given to us, hopefully gain the next life and have determination and life, love, commitment, and devotion. Loyalty to the king is more important to loyalty of family and friends. And death, as Christ died, he tells us, do not fear. God will guard our souls, and which are eternal. And as truth come into light, it will vindicate us. Psalm 27, one tells us, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Holy Spirit will give power and authority. By God's Spirit, you receive the power and ability to say the appropriate things at the right time. Have you ever been talking to someone and you're just standing there listening to them and you just whisper, Lord, help me to say the right thing? And it just comes. God answers those prayers. He, he knows. And at times we may be afraid to share and do the work that God has asked us to do as his followers. So much so that we literally become silent and unmoved. We don't like the answer no. It's not easy. I know, I understand. We can be afraid of that. But you know what? There were some who said no to Jesus. It's not our business to get to the no or yes. Our business is to go take it. We leave the rest to God. God will take care of that. So we must trust that. Don't give up. Do not be afraid of the no. 
As I said, if you can, if you can handle no, you ask the question. So you need to prepare for that. We must remember that God gives authority over all power to which we are subject. Sickness, Jesus heals. Nature, Jesus stills the storm. Demons, Jesus casts them out. Sin, Jesus forgives. Death, Jesus makes alive. Nothing can limit God's power and authority. I am reminded of the parable of the talents here, Matthew chapter 25, and you're familiar with this, so we're not going to read it. But if you have some time, look through it again, perhaps with a different uh, scope. The master divided the talents among his servants according to their abilities, and no one received more or less than he could handle. And if he failed to his assignment, his excuse could not be that they were overwhelmed. Failure could come only from laziness or hatred toward the master. The talents represented any kind of resource that we are given. God gives us time, gifts, and other resources according to our abilities, and he expects us to invest them wisely until he returns. We are respons responsible to use well what God has given to us. The issue is not how much we have, but how well we use what we have. This means that we are to use our time, our talents, our treasures diligently in order to serve our God completely and whatever we do. For a few people, that may mean changing professions. For some, for most, it may mean doing the daily work of love out of love for God. We must not make excuses to avoid doing what God has called us to do. If God truly is our master, we must, we must obey willingly. Our time, our abilities, money aren't ours in the first place. We are simply caretakers, not owners. If, we, God, if God really truly is our master, we must obey him willingly. When we ignore squander or abuse what we're given, we are being rebellious to what God has asked us to do. Listen to this statement from Ellen White and the Testimonies, chapter 4, page 191. Pay attention to this. Every workman should consider himself God's steward and should do his work with exactness and faithful vigilance. The constant inquiry in our lives should be, is this in accordance with the will of God? Will this please my Redeemer? Christ should be blended with all our thoughts. Every action, every word, every moment of our lives should bear the impress of our holy faith. The end of all things is at hand, and we have no time to be idle or to live in pleasure at cross purposes with God. Parents, grandparents, teachers, brothers, sisters, our children are observing us every day, in every way, in everything that we do. What example are we giving them? Are we making them followers of Jesus? What are we teaching them? As the song that they were singing, the adventure song, they are learning every day to be honest, kind, and true. How are they learning that? from us and Jesus can help us and help them be everything expressed in their law to be honest 
to be pure, to be obedient. Our sole purpose for being here on this earth is to be, to go, and make disciples for the advancements of his kingdom. I am one, and you. As Christ's disciples, he has delegated his authority to every believer in the kingdom. Not some of you here and some over there. Every single one of us. And he has empowered us, each one of us, to live in the rightful way. And we must be prepared to endure adversity when it comes and hardship for the advancement of the kingdom. We've been told this will happen. We must be prepared for that. But as Christ's followers, we cannot be discouraged because he has told us and promised that he will be with us. We should not be weary in well-doing. Those who are faithful in serving God in the kingdom will be rewarded. So you want real happiness in your life? Listen to this because this is not described from the perspective that we see real happiness. You find happiness in the happiness of those whom you help and bless. As Christ looks into the pages, the pages of our lives, he could certainly say, like, like, ooh, I really like that. Mm, I'm not too sure about that, but I'm here for you to help you with that. Realize that ultimately the post that we want, the message that we want to hear from Christ is, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I know you realize that Jesus' call to the disciples long ago is still the same today. I hope you realize this by now. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So what is your response? I know life is hard. I know it's complicated. Things get in the way. But may I remind you that Jesus understands better than you think. And there's nothing that you and him can handle, cannot handle together. He is with you. Trust him. Follow me, he says. What's it going to be? Perhaps you may want to write that on the card that we provided for you. Perhaps you want to keep it in your mind or inscribe it in your heart. But what's the answer to that question? Follow me, he says. I pray that answer will be, I will go.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you bring before us to use us. May our hearts be open and our eyes be open to see them. May we be ready and prepared for where they come so that we can share your salvation and the great news that you will come to redeem us soon. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age.